So what does it mean to be Christian? You know, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it talks about what it means to step into faith in Christ. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it says. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Well, I just want to say this morning that there's a lot of difference between belief and faith. Sometimes when we believe, we can believe in our mind and we can know the facts and we can agree with them and we can even confess that. I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus is the Savior of the world and say all these things. But until it moves to your heart and you believe God raised him from the dead, you've really not been saved. Understanding some facts about Jesus, understanding some scripture in the Bible and memorizing it or agreeing with it is not what it means to be saved. It has to move to your heart, which is your inmost being. And you have to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. What does that mean? It means that you believe he's alive. That he's not just some God from a long time ago written on the pages of a book. He's not just a philosophy. He's really a living person, a person that's in heaven that is willing to come down and be in my heart. He's with me every step of the way. In fact, that's what he was saying in John 17 when Jesus was praying one of his final prayers before he went into earth. He said, Father, I'm not praying for just my disciples, not just my 12 disciples. I'm praying for all of those that are going to believe through their message. Do you realize that even right here in John 17, thousands of years ago, Jesus was praying for you, that you would not have known Jesus If that message had not been carried from his disciples to the first churches all the way through the thousands of years, all the way to me hearing an evangelist whenever I was 21 years old, and I heard about Jesus for the very first time. I mean, I'd known about him. I'd known the facts. It was the first time that it came to my heart. He's praying for me. And what is he praying? He's saying, I pray that all of those that believe in me, they'll be one. Just as you and I are one. Jesus' final prayer was that we would be united in one. And then he goes on and says this, Father, I am in you and they are in me. We are one. That they may be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. Wow, Jesus is praying in that final prayer that it... He wants us to really be Christian. He wants us to really understand that he's alive and well. And not only is he, you know, the Jesus of the Bible, he's actually the Jesus that's inside of me. He's really inside of you. To be Christian means you really, really, really know that. You don't just agree with it. You don't just believe it. See, James says something really interesting. He said, the demons believe in Jesus... Because they saw him in heaven. They know who Jesus is. Every one of them recognized Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus, but they have no faith in Jesus. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a Christian has faith. And faith does something. Like the old evangelists used to say, you know, where I was in, uh, I got saved when I was 21 years old, and they always used to say kind of the same thing. They'd say, you know, you can put a chair on the stage, and many times they would do that. You can believe the chair can hold you. You can walk around the chair and say, yeah, that chair is made to sit in and believe it. You can believe all the facts in the world about the chair, but until you sit in it, you've not proved that you believe in it. And that's what they would say about Jesus. You can believe all these things about him, but until you put your trust in him, you don't really believe or have faith. So to be Christian, it means that he is one with us. 
And then he goes on and says this in another place right before he goes to heaven. He says, all of this stuff that I've spoken to you, all of these things I've spoken to you, the Sermon on the Mount, all of these things in John 16, 33, he said, I've spoken to you for one reason, that you can have peace. Peace is a huge deal to God. You know why? Because it's a third of the kingdom of God. Peace is huge. And he wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done right here in this earth. You know, you're made of earth. You do know that. And he wants that done in your earth as it is in heaven. He wants the peace of God to come inside of you. That's what he wants. He said, I've spoken all this stuff so that in me, not believing about me, not thinking about me, not learning about me, but in me, knowing he's in me and I'm in him, I have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Do you know what tribulation means? Hard times. Thank you for that Bible promise, Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't a Bible promise. He's just saying this is the way it is. But a lot of Christians get freaked out when they go through stuff. They're like, oh, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. You know, why am I going through this hard time? Jesus said, I'm telling you now, you're going to have a hard time in the world just like everybody else has a hard time. It doesn't mean you're not saved. The difference between you and someone else, though, is that you have peace in the midst of the hard time. Because I'm in you and you're in me and I'm speaking these things to you so you can have peace. And then he says this, be of good cheer. And it's almost irritating if you don't really know Jesus, if you're really just kind of hearing it. It's kind of like, you know, I'm going through a hard time like Mike and Tina. You know, you, I don't know what they'd have thought if I'd have just come over there and said, hey, you guys just need to cheer up. <laughs> they'd have probably smiled at me and then said something about me when I left. But it, I get that a little bit. I'm like, be of good cheer? And then he says, I've overcome the world. And I think, okay, well, you've overcome the world, but what about me? I'm still in it. No, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I have committed myself to you. You are in me. And everything I've accomplished, you've accomplished. I've overcome the world. Therefore, you have overcome the world. You know, it's like there's never a time that God is clueless. You know, God doesn't look down at the world and go, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> he doesn't do that. You know that we should never do that. We should never be clueless. There's always a right thing to do. You ever thought about that? No matter how dire your circumstance, no matter how bad everything seems, there's always a right thing to do, and God always knows what that is. And because he's in me and I'm in him, I can know what that is. You know that God, he's, he's never in despair. He never gets depressed. Why? Because he's always full of hope. Because God is love, and it says that love never stops hoping. There's never a day that God doesn't see light. And there should always be light in our heart and in our mind. No matter what we're going through, we should always be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because he's in us. That's what it means to be Christian. You're never without hope. And God is never afraid. Why should we be? Why do we pick up fear if our God is never afraid? If he's in me and I'm in him, I would be of good cheer. When he says be of good cheer, he's saying this is how we know if we're truly in faith. Do we have good cheer in the midst of the trial? Or do we have panic?
we should be encouraged and we should be happy. Be of good cheer. It's another phrase that Jesus shows up at Paul's bedside in Acts 23. It says that here's Paul, and, and Paul's in the midst of his you know, journey and with God and everything, and, and Jesus shows up and says, be of good cheer. And if Paul knew John 16, 33, he immediately probably knew, okay, some tri- tribulation is about to be unfolding here in my life. Jesus is cheering me up on the front end. Be of good cheer, Paul. You've testified here in Jerusalem for me. You're going to also bear witness in Rome. You're going to Rome. Now, what Paul didn't know at that time in Acts 23 was that he was about to be falsely accused, arrested, have to go before the court after court after court. People were making vows to kill him. There were people trying to kill him. And then suddenly, they they arrest him, put him on a ship full of prisoners, and tell him, you're going to Rome because he had appealed to Caesar. All of that stuff was in the future when Jesus showed up at his bed and said, be of good cheer, you're going to Rome. Jesus could have said, and it won't be a good journey. It's going to be tough. I don't know why God does that. If he tells us we're going to be okay, that we're going somewhere in the future, I don't know why that ride wouldn't just be smooth. But it's not. And I think he gives us Paul and so many other people like Paul to let us know that even though he's in our life and he loves us, that our journey many times is going to be difficult. It's just going to be hard. It doesn't mean you're sinful. It doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you haven't tried hard enough. What it means is you're in life, and life is full of tribulation. Our challenge is to stay in faith and to stay in good cheer. You're going on a journey. And we know that journey. We looked at it a couple of years ago, you know. Here was Paul, he got on that journey, he was heading to Rome, and you know Rome's way over here, and he was in Jerusalem, way over here, if you can see him a little dot, and he went about half his journey like here, and he went all the way to this island of Crete, and he went to a place called Fair Havens, but it wasn't a good winter port, and so he was at Fair Havens, and he was going to go over here to Phoenix, this far, do you see my little red thing right there? That's how far he was going to go. So they, they set off, and they were going to sail by the coast real close and get to Phoenix where they could winter. And when they did, this is the northeast. A northeaster blew in like this and blew them out to sea. And here they go. Fourteen days and nights. Fourteen days and nights without even seeing the sun or the stars. And their ship's coming apart. Everything has to be thrown overboard. They think they're going to die. All of them think they're going to die. And Paul's like, God shows up and gives Paul a word Paul gives them instructions, and they they stay out here 14 days and nights all around, and then suddenly, bam, they land on this little island of Malta, and everyone is saved because God gave Paul a word. Everyone gets through it, all 276 of them. 14 days in the storm. The miracle happens. They get on dry land. They all have to swim to shore. They're all wet. They're all cold. But finally, the miracle came, the dry land came, and they got on the shore. Hallelujah. They're all building a fire because it's so cold. And it says that Paul, being a humble man, he's out gathering firewood too, you know. He's not too good. He goes out and he gathers up some firewood, and he's bringing it, and he's putting it on the fire. And a snake jumps out of the fire and bites him on the hand. I'm like, really? I mean, really? If I was Paul, I'd say, God? 
It's hard to be of good cheer. I just want to say that. Be of good cheer. I don't want to hear that anymore. This is difficult. 14 days. We haven't eaten. I'm tired. I'm freezing. I'm trying to build a fire. And a snake comes out and bites me. Not any other 275 other men. It bites me on the hand. It's still hanging on my hand right here. And it, it's a poisonous snake. It's right there. Be of good cheer, Paul. You're going to Rome. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the devil really knows when to attack you. I mean, after a great victory, when you're tired, when you're fed up. Because his goal is not to give you a hard time. His goal is to kill you. Don't, don't think the devil's going to give you a break because you've been through a hard time. We as Christians know to be diligent, to be aware of his schemes. He wants to kill you, and if he can't kill you, he certainly wants to discourage you. He wants to rip all the courage out of your heart so that you'll quit. That's what he was trying to do to Paul. The snake, I mean, you don't have to go very far to see the symbolism. The snake's the devil. And it jumps out and bites him on the hand. So Paul had this choice that we all have. We all have the same choice. Do I believe God and that I'm going to Rome? Or do I believe the circumstance that finally it's just enough, the devil's going to win, he's going to kill me? Paul had a choice, like we all do, just like Mike and Tina did. They had a choice. Is God really going to be my, he's going to meet my needs according to his riches and glory, or has he just decided to change his mind? Is he really a liar? Like Paul thinks, I'm going to Rome? I don't think so. You know, 14 days on the sea, snakes biting my hand off. I don't know. And then it says that the people of the island saw that snake hanging there. So it had to be a while that the snake was hanging there. Because they, they had time to think. They had time to form words. And they're all like, this guy's a murderer, no doubt. He escaped the sea, and justice will not permit him to live. You know what that is, don't you? That's called that false narrative. It's called that phony story. It's called that, imaginative, imaginative, uh, that your imagination going wild in the wrong way. They're standing there. Paul's got the poisonous snake in his hand. They're like, yeah, it's karma. <laughs> you see, Paul's battle, just like our battle, this is, this, there's so much symbolism here. Paul's battle is like our battle. It's not against the devil. His battle was really not against the snake. His battle was against his own emotion, his own fear, his own doubts, his own pain. That's where our battle is. Things happen. Bad things happen. The devil gets on you. No doubt. All of us have had it. But the battle's really not against the devil. He's defeated. The battle's inside your head. What am I going to believe? And your emotions run wild. And many times they create their own false narrative. They create their own little crazy story. And there's no doubt in my mind, Paul, he was human, as human as you and me. There's no doubt in my mind when he heard those people say what they said, that there was a minute he thought, that might be true. I am a murderer. I stood there while Stephen was stoned. I, I had the coats. I mean, there's no accessory to murder. It's just murder. I mean, I'm a murderer. I saw lots of Christians killed, Christians that I arrested and drugged to Jerusalem. I, I saw that. So there was a split second that Paul thought, 
Maybe I am getting what I deserve. Maybe God has changed his mind. Maybe this, all this stuff isn't true. This snake wouldn't be hanging on my hand. It's your own emotions, your own thought, your own vain imagination. It gets inside of us, and we begin to go with it. And pretty soon, we're out of faith. But Paul didn't do that. Instead, Paul just shook the snake off into the fire. And I guess he just went on gathering firewood. People were shocked. You see, Paul trusted God. And he just shook the devil back into the fire of hell where he belonged. And that's where we're supposed to be. Be of good cheer. You know, when the devil attacks and attacks and attacks and attacks, and you're really in faith with God, it almost can become comical. I mean, it hurts. Sometimes it's even a split second of fear. But the truth is, when you begin to notice his patterns, when you begin to notice how often he attacks and how uncreative he is, you can get to a place where you go, are you kidding me? And I think that's where Paul was. He just shook him off in the fire and went on about his business. I mean, he did this. He just shook it off. I mean, I like this little thing. I just thought, that's how we need to do it sometimes. We just need to shake him off. He gets on us. You ever feel like that? You just want to shake it off. Say, I'm not going to believe this stuff. I'm not going to believe this stuff. Get off of me. Yes. Paul believed God's faithfulness. He knew that God said, you're going to bear witness for me in Rome. And so he just shook it off. He'd be of good cheer. He could be of good cheer because he knew how to shake it off. And that's something that all of us need to learn to do, how to be of good cheer. And I'm going to go back over this thing I went over a few weeks ago because I can tell you it's one of the most important tools I I can think of. And a lot of people are here and a lot of people don't get it. So I'm going to repeat it because it bears repeating. This little exercise that was in that Loving What Is by Byron Katie. And I've, I've, I've used this so much in the last few months. It's like... It's amazing at taking control of our thoughts and our emotions when they're in the middle of a hard time. And I've added to it a little bit. I've written it in my own words. I wrote this from my memory because I do this so often. I didn't have to go and get it because this is exactly how I do it. And this is what I want to share with you this morning. Is that many times, of course, the devil's going to attack. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. That's not the big mystery. There's no reason to stand around and say, oh, brother, the snake bit me on the hand. No, just shake it off and don't even worry about it. Talk about the great things God's done. Talk about the great deliverance that God's brought and not the attack. That's just going to happen. First thing you've got to ask yourself when those thoughts come in your mind is, is it true? It's so important that you know if the negative thoughts you're thinking are true. Because your negative thoughts create the negative emotions, and if it's not true, you need to shake it off. And people say, well, yeah, this snake's on my hand. I know it's true. That's, I mean, he's trying to kill me right here. Well, do you absolutely know that that's God giving up on you? No, I really don't know that. Well, then, it's probably not true. So whenever that happens, why do we give it any more thought? I mean, just ask yourself, how does this, how does this thought make you feel? If this thought makes you feel depressed or afraid or scared or lonely or blah, 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 or blah, 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 or negative, every negative emotion, everything that's fighting against you, you need to identify that. Because God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. 
God doesn't give you a spirit of depression. God doesn't give you a spirit of confusion. He doesn't give you those things. So if it's coming up in you, you identify the source and you know to shake it off. Shake it off. Get rid of it. And I like this one. I added this one. It's like, can you think of one good reason to keep this thought in your brain? Can you think of one reason to keep this false story in your brain running its course? Oh, this spot on my arm, this is probably cancer. And I'm going to have to go and I'm going to have to go miss work. For and I'm going I'm to get this. I mean, we run these false narratives. And you go, well, how does this make me feel? Afraid, depressed. Oh, stop it. Shake it off. The only thing the devil's got is words. And when you start repeating his stories, you've given him ultimate power. Why do we do that? He doesn't give you a spirit that causes you to be angry. He doesn't give you thoughts that cause you to be angry. He said the righteousness of God can never be accomplished by man's wrath. That's what he says in James. The, the, the righteousness of God can never be accomplished through man's anger. God will never give you thoughts that create anger inside of you. There's no reason for you to keep hold of those thoughts. You, how would you feel if you didn't have it? I would feel free. And so we learn to shake it off and put it back in the fire of hell exactly where it came from and just shake it off. I'm going to Rome. <laughs> I don't care what the devil says. I don't care how many shipwrecks. Because here's Paul. I mean, this guy, he was no stranger to problems. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us when he had had this shipwreck, when this happened in his life, he had already been whipped five times by the Jews. His back probably looked like sausage. He had been beaten by, by rods three times by the Romans. He had been stoned and left for dead. This was his third shipwreck. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like the, the snake bite didn't even make the list. It didn't even get on the list. Paul had been through so much, he knew that what God said was true, and he was not stopping, and he saw all this tribulation and all these trials, not as God's wrath, not as God's punishment, not as getting what he deserved, none, none of that. He never went there. He saw it as attacks from the devil trying to keep him from what he was supposed to do. And that's where so many of us get sidetracked. We start, we start, thinking, we start blaming God for things the devil's doing. And we've got to learn to shake that stuff off. But I just want to tell you this, a bit of information. You really don't know what you have faith in until you go through trial. This is why James says, thank God when you go through trial. It's the trying of your faith. People can say all day long, Jehovah Rapha, he's the healer. You know, they can have all the verses memorized. They can read all Smith Wigglesworth stuff. They can do all these things and have all that information. But until they face the tough time of being sick, and knowing God as a healer, it's really when we go through trial that we find out what we really believe. God's my provider. You never know if you really believe it in your core being until you're in financial hardship. And God comes through as your provider. I'm saying that difficult times can always be used for God's glory. Always. 
Peter wrote, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through if something strange is happening to you. Instead, be glad for these trials. Why? Because they prove your faith. Because they prove what you really, truly believe. They prove it. You say, prove it to who? Well, first of all, they prove it to you. Mike and Tina have gone through this, and it has been proved in their heart that God's way is the best way. They won't doubt it. But they never knew it like they know it today. And nobody wants to go through hard times. I don't want to go through hard times. But the truth is, in the world, we'll have tribulation. But God has this way of taking tribulation and turning it for our good. He said, these trials, be glad they're happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Make you, they make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Did you hear that? Jesus was praying, Father, I just want them to be one with us and to, to know that, and then as they live in one with us, that the whole world will know that you sent me. The whole world will know that I'm real. Why? Because when we go through hard times and we go through it with joy and we go through it with peace and we trust God, when we get on the other side, there's this wonderful joy whenever we know. And, and then you get to stand up here and give a testimony of God's faithfulness. And what does it do? The whole world, glory, they're, they're in the glory of what God does. His glory is re revealed when we trust him through hard times. That's why he says, be glad when it's happening. Be glad. Because the very thing the devil uses to kill you and discourage you is the very thing God uses to promote you if you let him. Paul, when he shook that snake off in the fire, all the village people, they saw it and they thought he was a god. Well, that didn't last long. God, Paul said, I'm not a god. I'm just a servant of God. He was able to share about his God. Next thing he did was prayed for a sick man that was ahead of the village, and that man was healed. And so what happened? As a result of that snake getting on his hand, instead of him crying about it because he'd been on the sea for 14 days, he shook it off back into hell. And then because of that miracle in front of everyone's eyes and they saw the glory of God, whenever they left that island, Paul had all the provisions. They put him on another ship that was more comfortable. Everything, he, he had great honor. Because the very thing the devil wanted to use to destroy him and discredit him and to kill him is the thing God used to promote him. Sometimes we stay so much in self-pity, God can't promote us because we don't have peace in the storm and we don't have joy in the journey and we aren't of good cheer because we think God is hurting us or punishing us. And he's really promoting us. It's hard, but that's what it means to be Christian. He said, I'm going to give you this peace because in the world you're going to have tribulation. And I want the world to know that I'm real. So the way you go through it will tell the world if I'm real or not. How we go through hard times, the world is watching. Our children watch. Our spouses watch. Our churches watch. Everyone knows. And that determines on bringing glory to God, even in the midst of the hardest times in our life. 
So what does it mean to be Christian? It means we trust God with all our heart. Don't just believe some facts about him. We really have put our trust in him, in his ways. Let's stand together. Some of you may be going through a hard time even right now. And uh, I'm not trying to trivialize anything. I'm just trying to give you hope. I just want to say that if you're going through a hard time right now or if you're, if you're in fear, whatever it is, doesn't matter. This whole message was designed to bring you hope, peace in the midst of whatever you're going through. I first want to ask you if you, have, if you really have Jesus inside of you. Because if you don't, it's hard to do any of this stuff I just talked about. He wants to be in you. And he wants you in him. That's what this is all about. And he said, if you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, I'll come in. That's what Jesus said. I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And once he's in there, then you, you just trust his ways. However he lead you trust him like Mike and Tina said their trusting was just in trusting him in the midst of that trial they tithed right in the middle of all their fears and said God we're going to shake off this fear back into the hell's fire and we're going to trust you and that's what you need to do whatever he's telling you to do you have to trust him that his way is best and then let him put joy and peace in your heart because he's got you he has got you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to let you fall. He's got you right in the palms of his hand. He loves you with all his heart. Just simple, childlike faith. So God, I just pray for all of us in this room, and I ask God that we could just let ourselves go, that we would just sit in your lap and trust in your provision, your healing, your protection. Just thank you, God, that you love us so much that you don't leave us alone. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are ministering today, please come up. And if you need prayer this morning, um, don't hesitate to come up and receive that prayer. Um, it could be about anything. Maybe you need healing in your body. Maybe you have an addiction and you need to have it broken. Maybe you don't feel Jesus in your heart. Uh, come up and pray with Danielle and Eli. and They'll help you too. Come to peace with whatever's going on. Thank you for joining us this morning. We love you.